Hey, woo, we're live streaming. How you doing, everybody? Aaron Schatz here, Football Outsiders. Welcome to the Football Outsiders live stream every weekday at 1 p.m. Eastern. Uh, coming soon at Standard Time instead of Daylight Savings Time. Oh, there's Rivers' cat in the background. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> uh, welcome the to the Wednesday uh, Ask Me Anything show live over uh, Twitch and uh, YouTube and Twitter and Facebook and in the corner of the website and uh, our little widget. And you can subscribe in all those places to make sure you get all of our shows. And uh, want to welcome in Mike Tanier, as always, on Wednesdays. And Rivers McCown is today's special guest. Um, want to pitch all of our viewers, before we get into the big news of the day, mm-hmm. want to pitch all of our viewers on our limited time offer to get FO Plus for only 99 cents a week with an annual subscription. That gets you all of our advanced stats, all of our fantasy football research tools, picks against the spread, fantasy projections every week. It all comes to you 99 cents a week. So be sure to go to footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe and become an FO Plus subscriber. And then you can find out what has happened to our pick against the spread for Kansas City Green Bay since the big news. <laughs> you Aaron, did, did you guys like my transition? Was that good? That was. Did you have to go running in there? Because I had to run in and like edit seven different things. You had to go running in and fixing that pick? I had to fix the picks against the spread. We had to fix okay. the loser league roster. We had to fix the uh, ratings that I give to Edge Sports for their simulations. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Aaron Rodgers with the COVID. So there are multiple layers to this story. First of all, the football layer, which is Aaron Rodgers has COVID. Aaron Rodgers will miss this week's game. Jordan Love will now start against the Kansas City Chiefs. We have no idea who Jordan Love is. Right. Um, Then there's the non-football part of this story which is that Aaron Rodgers apparently was unvaccinated despite telling the press that he was immunized and from all reports acting as if he was vaccinated and not following all of the protocols that unvaccinated players are supposed to follow. Right. So which do we want to hit first? The, uh, the, the, um, the football part of this story or the not football part of the story. And uh, don't forget to all the people viewing us live we <laughs> you can give us your 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 questions in your comments. For example, Joey Sucks points out that Wikipedia says that Jordan Love is an American football player for the Green Bay Packers. And Thank you. <laughs> we had that one coming. I appreciate that. Kurt, yeah. uh, Bankert, Kurt Bankert is apparently a close contact, COVID uh, close contact. So the Packers have one quarterback for Sunday's game. That's all they need. That's all they need. Kurt Banker can can do what he normally does, which is be here on Twitch streaming his video games, uh, where he is a a master of such things. But uh, also, the Packers are right now plus seven favorites. I just checked that recently. Yes, the line moved from uh, one. The line moved from Packers minus one to Chiefs minus seven. Yes. Right off the bat, and I guess we'll talk football first. I, I'm almost like exhausted of all the uh the uh, vaccination conversations at this point like like i, I we shouldn't be but it's been weeks since 
the Kirk Cousins story and the Carson Wentz story and things like that. There are additional layers to this, but it's almost like wearying to go back to like this level of, of egocentric self-serving behavior and, and how shocked we are by it. So, I mean, that's, that's why I'm like inclined to just click over to the football and say, Hey, plus seven, I might take Jordan love plus seven. That might be, that might be a, a, a fun take on all of this. I watched Jordan love play uh, his preseason game this year. The only game that he played, I think, because he got hurt was okay. against the Texans. Um, and he didn't look bad. I mean, he, he they, they ran a very run heavy offense. He got mm-hmm. some play action passes off. He's obviously not going to be throwing the pinpoint deep balls that Rodgers has, but uh, I think there's some promise there still. I mean, if you talk about your expectations for a backup quarterback, your expectations for a first round pick in his second year right. have to be higher than your expectations for, say, Mike White. Right. Right. And I actually talk about this in tomorrow's walkthrough, and folks can see it the different kinds of backup quarterbacks you get and to preview it a little bit. There's the kind of quarterback that can back up, that can get you through a month. There's the kind that can get you through a game. And there's the kind that can get you under the cap. So it's your three strata, kind of like the, the starter you can win, you know, because of win with win, despite there's three times the backup quarterbacks. I would figure a first round pick who's been seasoned on the bench for a year and had like all kinds of reps in preseason. I would say he's supposed to be a get you through a month kind of guy. Should yes. definitely be a get you through a game kind of guy. Now, whether you, you know, that's a game against the Kansas City Chiefs. And what that the implication of that is usually when you say get through a game, it's like what uh, Cooper Rush did: get a couple completions, hope Kirk Cousins turns in the captain check down and get a win. But I don't think for one week, I don't think that this is, this cripples the Green Bay Packers to the point where they have no chance of winning against a team that's been playing poorly all year. The over under on this game is forty eight. That went down from fifty four and a half, I think. But these are two bad defenses like these are not good defenses the, the chiefs have played better defense over the last couple of weeks but they're a bad defense the packers are honestly also a bad defense i yep. don't remember exactly what their dvoa rating is but it's not good mm-hmm. um you could definitely see a shootout like even with jordan love at quarterback because the chief's defense is bad and he knows how to find daniel Sorensen on the field are you telling me I should take <laughs> Packers plus seven and over in a same game parlay, Aaron? I preferred it when I saw it <laughs> plus eight, but Packers plus seven and over in a parlay is not a bad that probably get good odds on that. Well, we could, but uh, my thing just crashed when I tried to do it here. So let me try again. The thing is you can't push on a parlay, right? No, you got to get hands. That makes him a little more hesitant to do plus seven as opposed to plus seven and a half or plus eight. Well, plus seven and a half. Let me see what they give me. And over plus 285. For plus seven and a half and over. I like that. Ooh, it's getting done. Dan the I, feel, I feel bad for Dan Sorensen, man. Like if there are a lot of there are a lot of players in the NFL who get roasted, but just because of his spot right now in Kansas City where it's like obviously the biggest uh, explosion of the year, I guess, for for a defense. And then also it's holding Mahomes back. <laughs> like there, there are a lot of bad players, and I've watched many of them weekly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Every week, yeah. Who, who, get, who, get, who get toasted. <laughs> Mahomes is kind of keeping Mahomes back, though. I mean, the fact yeah. is I've, I've tweeted this out a couple of times. The last four weeks – the Chiefs are something like 25th or 26th in offensive DVOA. Mm-hmm. And even if you take out turnovers, they're like 12th. 
Right. So it's not just that there have been a lot of wacky turnovers and a lot of wacky off guys, hands type interceptions. They're also really struggling to move the ball. Travis Kelsey is really struggling over the last couple of games. Right. And you heard Mahomes made some remarks to, uh, to the extent that like, oh, I kind of get bored just taking what the defense gives me. Well, you know, like, like that's a problem because the defense is playing so far back so consistently that you can beat a lot of these teams, these second-tier teams, by just going into a more conventional offense. Yeah, I'll take what I get, not try to do as much hero ball type things. Now, I get it that he's been programmed for years to, to do more, to do more than that, but there's got to be some sort of like hand. And this is where Andy Reid was never really good after the Eagles had their first run of success, of reining everybody back and saying, hey, let's let's be a little more conventional. Let's maybe, maybe run it a little more. Let's take uh, you know take fewer risks. He's not wired that way. Mahomes isn't wired that way. And that's why we get some of these things where it seems to get worse before it gets better. And I guess the Giants, of course, you know, the most effective play was handing it off to not Frank Gore, the other yeah. Gore, Derek Gore. And then, you know, these little swing passes to Damian Williams that seem to go for eight or 10 yards every play. Right, right. I mean, you're sitting back and, and the, the conversation, which has gotten silly on Twitter, is you sit back in, in too deep shell. Just sit back with two safeties. It's kryptonite. It's kryptonite for everybody. It's like it's definitely kryptonite if you don't take those passes. If you take those passes and you get success with them and you run because you've got, the, you know, an empty box, you can have success. And, and the thing is, Andy Reid will see those things and he'll get reluctant to do that because he knows he has this high octane capability. And sometimes he forgets it's like maybe maybe set that aside and work on it and see if it can come back after you've had success elsewhere. Uh, useful Baker says, so Mahomes doesn't want to be David Carr. I assume he means Derek Carr and Derek Carr is actually throwing the ball downfield. Yes. Uh, although, um, yeah, the next item speaking on our... of news, yeah. uh, not to dwell on this, but let's just say that Mr. Carr has lost his best deep receiver for the rest of forever. Yes. For the rest of forever, Henry Ruggs has already been released. A serious vehicular situation I think everybody knows about. Someone lost their lives in a crash. He was allegedly driving 156 miles an hour with passengers in the car. Brutal situation. The Raiders have released him. And again, going with on-field right now, uh, Derek Carr had 20 passes of 20-plus yards this season. Only Tom Brady had more 20-plus yard passes. That's not air yards, by the way. It's, it's like chunk plays. But anyway. Yeah. But a lot of those are downfield. Those are downfield passes. Those are a lot not. Of them are, and, yeah. Nine of them were two rugs. So right yeah. away, not only do you lose that rugs' ability to do that, but you lose rugs' ability to clear out for Waller and, and Jones and some of the other guys. So I guess what Mahomes doesn't want to be is what Derek Carr is going to have to be from now on, which right. is back to the Derek Carr of three or four years ago. Um, okay. Let me change the subject here because we should talk a little bit about the angle of the sort of the vaccination angle with Aaron Rodgers. I tweeted this out earlier today. If the team and the league did not know that he was unvaccinated and he did not follow the protocols for unvaccinated players, I think he should be suspended. I agree. I agree. This is dangerous behavior. This is dangerous detrimental to the team behavior like anything else i mean team, teams will suspend guys from being late to meetings and things like that say, i'm going to lie to everyone and potentially risk the health of my teammates absolutely i think a suspension will be warranted what i what i what boggles my mind is that you can just sort of blue sky your way through the protocols right now i don't know how 
I mean, I guess Aaron Rodgers has the means to get a fake card, whatever. I don't know how he walks through the last couple of months doing whatever he wanted. Yeah, that's 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 kind of the scary part to me is like, you know, obviously clean sweep, sure, suspend him, whatnot. But like, how did the NFL know about this and or forget about it on accident while they're watching him do all this stuff every week? It's it's kind of mind boggling. Right. I mean, my guess is there was a little bit of star star treatment, nod, nod, wink, wink for him. Right. You know, and it's like, whatever we, you know, no one can say anything to Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. That's not exactly an open secret. He kind of rules everything there. And I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't have a card. He just kind of went through things and said, you got to catch me. You got to actually confront me about this. And and no one was going to do it. And I don't know who knew what. What did the league know? What did the team know? Right. If the team knew that he was unvaccinated, Mm-hmm. and allowed him to break protocols, then it's the team that should be penalized. Right, right. If the team didn't know, then it's Rodgers who should be penalized. Either, I mean, either way, this is, it's not that I feel like the league should be forcing everyone to get vaccinated. It's that they set a series of protocols yep. for people that were unvaccinated. They said, if you're not vaccinated, that's cool. You'll yep. play. You just have to follow these protocols in order to prevent the spread of COVID. Right. And if you don't follow the rules, if you know, listen, okay, bitter Patriots fan here, but if you're going to be suspending people for allegedly deflating balls, right. you need to be suspending people for breaking the protocols <laughs> on the on the, the COVID list. Right. And people get fined for not having a shirt tucked right. Yeah, if you're going to be fining CD Lamb for not tucking in his shirt. Right. Yeah. Right. Um Let's take questions. And of course, you can always ask questions in the AMA. It's the AMA on Wednesday. We'll take all your questions. Who would you start at flex in a PPR league? Elijah Mitchell, Damian Harris, Tyler Lockett, or T. Higgins? Well, we'll start with the fact that, of course, fantasy questions are better for Scott Spratt on Tuesdays and Fridays, but I'll take them. Mm -hmm. And I believe that the Seattle Seahawks are on bye. Yes, I think so. (laughs) There's one out the door. So we just took care of Lockett. Yes. Elijah um, Mitchell had no catches. Now, of course, he has rushing value, but no catches last week. I think only has four or six catches on the year. So I'm reluctant on him. I will they, tell Damian you. Damian Harris that, doesn't really get that many catches either, does he? <laughs> no, he doesn't really get that many catches. Right. He seems like the most likely to score a touchdown. Right. Um, I, I will tell you our projections have Harris – and Mitchell tied, and both of them higher than Higgins okay. in a PPR league. Okay, I would go with Damian Harris. I really like the Patriots' chances against the Panthers this week. Right. One thing I did notice watching the San Francisco game, Garoppolo with two quarterback powers at the goal line. Uh, Kyle Yushik gets a carry at the goal line. I but know, you- Wild, if you're going to put that stuff in and yet you're not playing Lance, like, that's weird. Right. Is it an right. expectations game? Is it the idea that they're not going to expect that with Garoppolo on the field? I think that that's what it was. And both times he had, like, a clear shot. Like, it was it was not schemed up to, to stop the awesome Jimmy Garoppolo running threat. But it looked like they were trying to avoid giving Mitchell the ball. Maybe it's like one of those, well, rookie at the goal line, we're worried he's going to fumble there. I don't understand it. But that would make me think, yeah, as opposed to Damian Harris, who I think they trust in more of a variety of situations, you know, a more experienced player. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm going I'm to also pick Damian Harris here and Elijah right. Mitchell playing the Cardinals. They have a pretty good run defense. Okay. Yeah, so let's. we're going with Damian Harris. We're there. 
Uh, Brian Knowles says the first rushing touchdown for Garoppolo looked like a blown play. The second was just Shanahan trolling. <laughs> Thank you, Brian. I love it. They do that. Um, Todd Singer says to Mike, can you give us a sneak preview of the victimization index regarding my coach called a screen pass from the end zone with the game on the line? <laughs> my coach keeps calling running plays and I want to throw the ball. I want to throw the ball because it's not like Jonathan Taylor has kept us in the game for a couple of weeks. This is about me. So I'm going to check out of them and I'm going to throw the ball during RPOs. And yeah, I, you can throw a screen pass from the goal line. I was like, what a terrible call that is. It's, First of all, you're calling things like that because you're protecting Carson Wentz from making a lot of decisions. Secondly, Carson Wentz knows he's in the end zone. He can throw the ball at the feet of a receiver. I've seen every quarterback in the history of ever throw the ball at the feet of the receiver on the screen pass in a situation like that. Carson had to pump fake that and try to make something happen. So there is no victimization index this week because of a Thursday night game. Uh, so we all get to watch this and, and, and Carson get vindicated against the Jets properly. But it would be something along those lines. How dare my coach call RPOs when all I want to do is throw? I, I like the Jet. It's uh, 10 and a half at this point. Keeps moving. It was 14 a couple of weeks ago. And I, I think I was tweeting about And then that. Mike White happened. Yes. And then Carson Wentz happened again. And people got to see a, a longer look at him. But I, I don't know because uh, the Colts DVOA, is shocking. Is shocking. Like, and I see that their run defense is in fact very strong. We saw that last week. Their running game is very strong, although I don't I don't have the DVOA in front of me. It's like 12th. Okay. I think their special teams are strong overall, despite having had to make changes at kicker. Special teams are average. Okay. But that high, and I guess and the passing I know it's weird. Their passing game is a little below average. Right. And their pass defense is a little below average. I think team, one thing is teams are just running against them a lot, despite the fact that their run defense is so good. Right. So, like, the, the ratio is skewed. Mm-hmm. Well, like, teams run against them a lot. Like, it's not like they've been blown out and teams are running out the clock against them. Nope. Their losses, a, lot, a couple of their losses are, are close losses. So it's not like this is a clock thing, right? Right. Um, Titans twice and Ravens. So these are teams that are just going to run the ball at you. That's their philosophy. Yeah. That might be. And the Colts just have a really, really good run defense. And so if you keep running at them, that means there's more running plays in the sample, and they're really good on run defense. Right. And um, Todd Singer says the Colts' offensive line is healthier now, so their yeah. running game should trend up. I think that's true. That's true. They were getting Wentz a- has been better. Wentz has been much better, I think, than expected. Yeah. Until those last couple of plays against the Titans, he only has like four picks this year, and two of them just were those two plays in the Titans game that looked terrible. Well, he also is getting a lot of credit for all those defensive pass interferences that just happened to come on underthrown balls, isn't it? Right. Well, yeah. I mean, there is a strategy to that. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they're following it, but there is a strategy. <laughs> yeah, um, that, that that that's not design. <laughs> that's right. One that's thing I was going gonna... to. One thing I was going to ask you about that, when DVOA, does it look at things like I stand in my own end zone and throw a pick six or I throw a shovel pass for an interception? Does it look at like super high leverage interceptions? Yeah, because the way that the interception penalty is, mm-hmm. is that it does not judge you based on the return of the interception. Okay. It does every interception with the average return based on where the line of scrimmage is, Mm-hmm. and where the interception was caught. Okay. And the average return of an interception 
thrown from your old goal line, <laughs> thrown two yards down, is very bad. Yes, yes. So it doesn't matter what the actual return was, but since the average of all interceptions in that situation are very, very bad, mm -hmm. it 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 knows it knows that that is a much worse interception than exactly. third and fifteen, and I throw the ball forty yards downfield is a right. very different. It knows it knows that those are two very different interceptions. Right, because that's what I that's what I was curious about. And it doesn't look at them and say, "Well, that's not repeatable." So we're not. It's not that kind of thing. Like that's just a fluky type of thing. No, it doesn't see that as a fluky okay. type of play. What it sees as a fluky type of play is if you arm punt, mm -hmm. like from your own twenty, and you throw it forty or fifty yards downfield on a third and fifteen, mm -hmm. and that thing gets returned for a touchdown. Okay, because okay. Norm normally. The fact is that an arm punt interception like that is not going to have a 60 or 70 yard return. Right. And I don't want to be penalizing offenses because they can't tackle well. Right. Right. I feel like that's something that's not going to be a big deal going forward. Right. So instead, we measure that interception based on the average return, which is, I don't know what, seven, eight yards. So. Okay. Okay. So, but shoot, we went through that ball at the end of the fourth quarter. There were seven or eight yards to return it. Like, <laughs> that was it. You couldn't even go longer than that because it was no. so close to the goal line. So no, no. And and you looked at the fourth quarter. If you really go back and look at the fourth quarter, he is airmailing potential interception after potential interception. And he's in the drive before that, he's getting sacked, and it's like, oh, you know, holding penalty, oh, uh, roughing the passer, oh, et cetera. The, the, the amount of I think that there are a lot of plays that got taken back, or like he got bailed out by Michael Pittman or whatever that we're going to see the, the the next act in the Carson Wentz saga coming very soon. Until then. Do you think, that, do you think his play is going to decline? A little I bit? think his play is going to decline. And this might not be the best sample against the Jets, but I think right. in the long run he's going to start pressing because that's been the nature of his play uh, in Philadelphia. They only have two games with an offensive DVOA over 4% the entire season. That was against uh, the Ravens on Monday Night Football, which included that long uh, Michael Pittman touchdown catch where he destroyed the corner. Right. And the Jonathan Taylor 75-yard screen pass. Yeah. And then the other one was against the Texans, who are the Texans. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's their defense that's holding them up in DVOA. And I think yeah. the defense may be overestimating the value of turnovers. Okay. To be perfectly blunt. Like, when I looked yesterday while I was writing the article, they're not that good. Their yards per, uh, yards per play allowed – and their success rate allowed are not commensurate with where their DVOA is. Hmm. So some of it is turnovers that they have a lot of them. And some of it is just, you know, I mean, it, it's measuring every single play separately. So you, you have to really dive into looking at every specific play to see where they're getting the value from. And the, you know, DVOA is seeing something. It's seeing something that the Colts defense has been better than just their yards per play allowed. But I feel like it hasn't been fifth. Right. I feel like that's going to decline. Right. By the way, nine interceptions, nine fumbles for 18 takeaways, which is yeah. tied with Buffalo for the league lead. But, I mean, I have to look at their um, fumble luck. Luck? I'm looking up right now. Hold on a second. They have on defense. 13 by nine. They have recovered seven of ten fumbles on defense. So okay. there's there's some luck in there. Uh, DVOA has so DVOA has at least filtered that out. Okay, uh, but they've lost four of seven fumbles on offense, and they've lost 
they lost a muff when they were returning a punt or kick, which are, you know, very rarely lost. Yes. Yeah. Um, Royal Will asks, in a full PPR league, his receivers are Cup, Adams, Mike Williams, and Lamb. With the Rodgers news, is Adams still a good play? Which receivers would you go with? Okay, first of all, congratulations on yeah. a really great draft. Yeah, yeah. Uh, be, you recognized that Mike Williams would become a more uh, greater part of the Chargers offense than Keenan Allen this year. Good job. You recognized that Cup would be the freaking king of the league this year. Good job. I think that the guy I would leave out is Mike Williams. He, here's what I've found in the past. I found that backup quarterbacks tend to affect the second and third receivers more yeah. than they affect the number one receiver. Yeah. Like the number one receiver usually still gets his. Right. And Adams it's is kind good. of an extension of the running game there anyway, sometimes where they just throw them screens or throw them smoke routes or whatever. So he'll yeah. still get plenty of catches. Hmm. Yeah. Right. So I, 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 I don't think Adams, especially against the Kansas City defense, I don't think Adams is going to suffer that much from the Jordan Love. And what is Dak Prescott's status right now? I just realized Dak that. Prescott's status is unknown. Yeah, it's, it's funny how that falls by the wayside when, uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers is making news and all. <laughs> Kyler Murray's status yes. is unknown. So, yes, that popped up. Um, so, I mean, I think at this point we are expecting Dak Prescott is ready to start because they haven't said anything different. I think at this point we're expecting Kyler Murray. But there were reports that he had an ankle injury that was one to three weeks. I'm trying to get a good corroboration that he is full go for practice as of Thursday. I'm seeing reports of this, but not by anyone whose name I recognize. So uh, we will see. So, uh, so yeah, so Royal Will, I like Cup, Adams, and Lamb. If you have three three receivers in that league, I would go Cup, Adams, and Lamb. If you do two receivers, I would just go Cup and Adams. Murray was not at practice today, says Brian Knowles. Oh, boy. Is Colt McCoy getting the reps or is – That would mean Colt McCoy is getting the number one reps. I believe he is the backup quarterback ahead of Chris Steveler. Steveler. So we have Colt McCoy. We have Jordan Love. I'm glad I wrote something about backup quarterbacks for walkthrough on Thursday. I didn't know it was going to be this wild, but uh, there it was. And, of course, we have Love, Love Child, Taysom Hill, and or Trevor Simeon in New Orleans. Oh, God. Revenge game, please, Brian. Yes. The indications are Peyton won't say who the starter is, which I think may be a sign that it's it's Hill. Yeah. Like, I think if Hill's concussion was so bad that he was definitely out, that they would say that. Mm -hmm. I agree. I, I mean, you know he wants Taysom Hill, right? Like, I mean – <laughs> He wants, he wants to start Taysom Hill. He does not want to start. Doesn't Hill. everybody want Taysom Hill? <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, if your choices are Taysom Hill, Colt McCoy, Chris Steveler, uh, Cooper Rush. Who, who do you like? I love. I, I think we all will take love. But like, well, I mean, the Falcons' defense is really, really pretty bad. So yeah, I guess I guess I'm riding the Taysom train for this week. Right. Well, I'll tell you, Hill. He. He led the – I don't say beat. He led the Saints to victory twice against the Falcons last year. Mm -hmm. And his passing numbers look normal. The one thing I need to point out is that Michael Thomas, I believe, had 18 catches in those two games. And yeah. 
the the uh, besides the art besides the you know zone reads and stuff, the entire passing game was six offensive linemen. Literally, they put the sixth lineman in, drop back, wait for Michael Thomas to get open. So I don't know what else they have in the Taysom arsenal besides that and zone reads. Uh, Joey sucks says Taysom Hill is just a modern Seneca Wallace. I never put that together until you said that Peyton wants him to play. Hmm. I liked Seneca. I mean, he wasn't good, but I liked him. He didn't they never run to make him a tight end, did they? Well, no, he was like five eight, so they would have made him like a <laughs> slot guy. Yeah. The, the, the Falcons are making Felipe Franks a receiver, or sort of like he's still also a third quarterback. Like, did, yeah, it's very like, much very muddled thinking. I um, in the Scott Fishbowl fantasy uh, league, I took Taysom Hill and Jordan Love. Wow! You take like eighteen players. <laughs> okay. And it's a two quarterback league. So I have um I have Rodgers. So I took Taysom Hill in like the 13th round. And then I took Love in like the 15th or 16th nice. round because that was back when we thought Rodgers might not play this year. Mm-hmm. So now I have to decide who to start as my second quarterback this week. Do I start Hill or do I start Love? And I'm leaning towards Hill because the rushing yards. So wait, you just told one guy to start Devontae Adams in his fantasy league, and you told me to take the take the over over. But now, yeah, I'm not going to take Jordan. Love. <laughs> I'll take Taysom Hill instead. Because <laughs> rushing yards, man, rushing yards are better than passing yards for a fantasy. I hear you. I hear you. But uh, last and plus the Falcons is- defense, the Falcons defense is not good. No, <laughs> no, they're not. Hashtag analysis. Um, I mean, it's a little weird that the Falcons are last in DVOA. Like the Colt, like this is just a weird year for DVOA. There are a lot of teams where their rating does not seem to match their win loss record. And Atlanta is another one. Like you'd expect Atlanta to be 27th or 28th, and instead they're dead last. And much like the Packers, they're really hurt by one week one game, right? That they got slaughtered by Philadelphia in week one. Mm-hmm. If not for that game, they would be like 27th or 28th. So that's probably as good as they, they probably are more like 27th or 28th. And that's what's booing Houston, right? That they had a big week one win. But the a little bit, a okay. little bit. It wasn't a big win, but it was a win. The, the defense is <laughs> it just was not enormous. The biggest win you've ever seen. <laughs> the part of Atlanta that's better than our numbers think it is, is the offense now that Pitts has really come into his own. So yeah. their defense is still not good. So like Taysom Hill to get the rushing yards is pretty good. Right. I think you'll see a little Simeon too. They were mixing and matching a little bit with Jameis and Taysom early in the season when they were f- having trouble moving the ball with Jameis and bring Taysom in. So you might see a little thing where they put Simeon in for a series to be a little more conventional and to, to strain a defense that's not up to code in the first place. And of course, you know, among the – Big bits of news this morning, sort of lost in the Aaron Rodgers news. Michael Thomas posting on Instagram that he's had a setback in his injury recovery and he's now out for the year. I thought he was anyway. I mean, I know that when I did our projections before the season, I projected the Saints as if Michael Thomas was going to be out for the year because it seemed like he really wasn't very excited about the prospect of playing for them. And I was like, oh, something will come up at mid-year and he just won't come back. Yep. And it sure just enough, seemed like the safer projection. And sure enough, here we are. It was a little bit like a mini Deshaun Watson thing, where except there's not all these other elements to it. So he can disappear quietly into the abyss and we just sort of forget about him. Yeah. Okay, Franks. He's an offensive weapon. 
<laughs> We're back to Felipe Franks. Yes. The Saints should trade for him yes. and put him and pace him in the same backfield. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. It's, it's spelled like Felipe, right? There's like an extra yes. E in there. It's, Felipe it's, it's spelling. Okay. Just, 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 just bring Denard Robinson back too. Just keep all the offensive weapons in one backfield. <laughs> Unstoppable <laughs> offensive weapons. You don't know where they're going to line up. They're slot receivers. That's where they're going to line up. <laughs> uh, we, uh, we have you on Rivers, and we haven't even touched on the staring contest between the Dolphins and the and the Texans for Yeah, we should the since the trade deadline has passed us now. Thank goodness. <laughs> I can forget about this whole thing for another three months. <laughs> was it? What was it like for you covering the Texans? Was it like you have to check your text messages every thirty seconds? Like for wake up and at six and check them first thing. What was it like? No, because I had a pretty good indication from about Sunday on that this wasn't going to happen in a, in a real form. Um, uh, there's just it's really hard to kind of do what they wanted to do with Deshaun in, in a way that makes sense in a trade deadline environment. Like you want to get, you know, the Panthers want to talk to them. The Dolphins want to talk to them. So they got to clear that. And, you know, the logistics of trying to get a settlement going with 22 people, uh, you know, just quick snap to make Stephen Ross happy. That was never going to happen either. So it just right. kind of seemed like from the start, there was a lot going against that. When you say that, and of course we heard Steve Ross like late in the day is getting phone conversations with Deshaun. Was it one of these things where it got kicked up to the ownership level late? Because Lord knows we've been talking about this as as the, the, the Dolphins as prime suitors since August. Why is it suddenly at the 11th hour that Steve Ross and possibly to a degree McNair and Easterbury are getting involved in this? I, I think it's, it's basically about the settlements, yeah. I, I mean, I don't think the Dolphins – the Dolphins kind of settled on a trade and, you know, they were like kind of, Hey, maybe you get these things settled then you know, we can do this. And then at that point they started wanting to actually talk to them. It sounds like they were looking for an out when they say that, you know what I mean? Yep. Like, Hey, well, you they know wanted what? to tell their fans that mm -hmm. they looked into the trade, but they didn't want to actually do the trade. Right. 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 If they were looking to escape in a way that like saved face, or made them look like the, the shrewd move. So it's like, yeah, yeah, settle the 22 cases, you know, by, by Tuesday, and we're set. And it was some, <laughs> like, they came in with a realistic expectation on that. Just just really easy. Just 22 settlements. Oh, right. Oh. right. Oh my God. You're not playing football, right? Just get to it, man. How, uh, how close is Tyrod Taylor to coming back? Uh, every time that they talk about him, they talk about him in very vague terms. Like, well, we'll see what happens on the practice field. So... I would give them another week personally. Uh, they do have to buy after this. So that would be, what, seven full weeks at that point. And then you see what you got. Uh, I do think they want to bring him back. So I do think right. he'll play when he's ready. But uh, I guess we will see what happens today. Is the sense any better there that there's any direction or plan? Or... <laughs> no. No, the sense is not any better. Uh, there were maybe 40% maybe attendance. For this last game maybe uh and then they had david cully tried out something in his like little meet in-house in thing where he's like yeah uh, i really appreciate all the fans that stayed and cheered when it was 38 to nothing and then you just look at the stands and you're like what what is this team talking about <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's rough and like the gm spoke earlier i, I didn't actually watch it because i knew it would have you on was there anything of value coming out of that i mean it's 
it's kind of the stuff we already knew at this point. They're just trying to build the culture. What does the culture mean? Well, we need to get good players who are also good people who put the team first and do all the little things we want them to do. Not like Charles Amenahu, I guess. But uh, it's one of those things where everything that they say is like, we're very accountable. But then you look at, you ask them like, well, why are we bad? Well, we're not that accountable, actually. Uh, We we have to turn over the roster still. And uh, yeah, it's, it's not a good situation. It's brutal. It's brutal. Joey Sucks says, speaking of other players who are in the news, Odell Beckham to New Orleans, maybe. The fan base needs another injured receiver to hope for now. So, yes, apparently Cleveland has asked Odell Beckham not to come to practice today. And his father is out there on Instagram posting like long videos of Odell Beckham being open and Baker Mayfield not seeing him. I mean, which, you know, the context, right. we have no idea what the reads were on these plays right. necessarily. But, um, and I'm sure, you know, he's not posting videos of Odell Beckham in the trainer's room not playing. Um, <laughs> right, right. But where is the Odell Beckham situation going? Like no, at a certain point, does Cleveland have to cut him? I, they might if this is where they're at. And and by the way, has it been two years or three years in Cleveland? So I think it's three. It's been three. So if you took the over on an OBJ versus Baker meltdown, you won because that over over was probably set at around like six weeks originally. So you know, inevitably it came to this. They were trying to shop him. He is unshoppable. I mean, there is no the, the, uh, uh, theoretical team out there that's like, oh, yeah, please give us Odell Beckham's salary and whatever baggage he's bringing with them and his dad's Instagram in exchange for this. But it's very much you can't live with him, can't live without him, because what do you do if you can't straighten the situation out? Is the plan then Jarvis Landry and no deep receiver whatsoever? And if so, I mean, they have other guys, Donovan Peoples-Jones. They just don't, you know, none of them are as good as Odell Beckham was in his prime. But we're like... I mean, how much do you want to believe that Odell Beckham is in his prime? It's, he's not. No. He hasn't been for a couple of years. So I think the guy you're looking for might be a Deshaun Jackson, who is has proven this season that he can still get open, still has his one dimension, and brings 25% less drama. I'd say 25% less drama with him along the way and baggage. You can sign him, and it doesn't become this thing where every like local blogger has him in his crosshairs. And you can get what you're looking for from any of those guys, which is pretty much 1.5 40-yard catches per month and a lot of clear-out routes. Yeah, I like Deshaun Jackson to New Orleans. That actually makes a lot of sense. Right. There's a bunch of places. Like, the Tennessee Titans should be kicking tires on a deep threat number three guy, especially Mm -hmm. now if they're trying to try and figure out how to diversify their offense without Henry. That's the other news we haven't covered this week. There's so much going on. Yeah. Yeah. So – Derrick Henry, uh, out for the year, or most of it, I guess. He's not necessarily out for the year. There may be a possibility he can return for the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And let's be honest, the Titans are making the playoffs at 6-2, and two, and they have like a three-game lead or something over the Colts, plus they have the tie. Break. They're making the playoffs. No, the Texans are making a run. It's for real. <laughs> no. I don't remember what our odds are right now, but there's something like 98% for the Titans. It's really yeah. Dumb. yeah, it's really high. Um, it's going to be a, this is, we are, we are going to see a really good test case now. And I mean, one, one test case does not, you know, does not proclaim whether analytics is right or not, but this is a really good test case for our running backs replaceable and, um, 
how much does a running back really matter to the play action right. success? Because, I mean, they're going from Derrick Henry to Jeremy McNichols and yeah. very over the hill Adrian Peterson. Right. I can't imagine this story ends with that platoon matching 100% of the uh, of the production and they're and leading the Titans to glory and getting to the AFC championship game. I I don't see how that happens. At the same time, again, we have seen plenty of, of situations where could Peterson have one of his big 100-yard games? Absolutely. Could McNichols re- replicate some of this stuff? Absolutely. I think from a play action standpoint, that's not going to change. I think you're still no. gonna, yeah, Tannehill's still going to be effective in that respect. It's going to be that very marginal like, it, like in the past, third and four was a running down for this team with tight with, with, with right, and it's not yeah. with Jeremy McNichols and Adrian right. Peterson. Right, second and ten as a running down for the Titans was not a foolish decision because it would often bring up third and four. That's going to change, and I think that's where you're going to see that in in the margins. I wrote the Titans chapter this year for FOA, and uh, we wrote about the curse of three seventy. And I, I tried very hard to be like, this is a, this is a thing that actually should be on our radar, but also Derek Henry is really really good. Right. And I don't think we should celebrate this as like a victory lap for the Curse of 370. But no. uh, yeah, I mean, this is going to be a big change. I do think Adrian Peterson's a little bit better than people give him credit for. Uh, you know, right. played for some pretty bad teams over the last couple of years of his career. And, uh, you know, doesn't have top gear speed anymore, but still a really good back. Yeah, I think you'll I think you'll see him like when the blocks are there. He will still produce. He'll probably yeah. still like finish his runs, drag some tackles, et cetera. That's why I say like they've got the Texans coming up. He can wind up getting like a like 120 yard game against the Texans. And then we start, ah, oh, running backs don't matter, Steve. That's like, well, there's a little more to it than that. <laughs> the other variable for this is is what you said, Aaron, is they're gonna make the playoffs no matter what at this point. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not the best test case for saying, well, without Derrick Henry, this team was nothing. Well, without Derrick Henry, this team was the best team in the AFC South because the right. The Derrick Henry, I don't know if it's the curse of 370 as much as it is the curse of 219, which is how many carries he had this year in eight games because they right. were really using him. Like right. they were, he had 29 carries in the 27 3 win over Kansas City and the 37 yep. 19 win over Jacksonville. Like, why on earth are you still right. giving Derrick Henry in the fourth quarter of those games? Why are you still giving him carries in the fourth quarter of those games? Right, and I think he was hurt midway through this last one, mm-hmm. and you saw him like um, diving for third and one conversions and things like that, playing on a hurt foot, which is yeah. I mean, that's malfeasance. I mean, that, that's that's just foolhardy on the on the on the on behalf of Rabel. The George Cook uh, fantasy advice looking for should he trade Lockett and AB? I'm assuming you're talking about uh, Antonio sure. Brown there and Gronk for Thielen and Waller. Um, see, here's the thing is that Wilson's supposed to be back in, in next week. Right. Really? I mean, let's be honest because they're on by this week. Wilson is probably back next week. When Wilson comes back, Lockett's value goes back up. Right. But I don't know what the deal is with Gronk coming back. Wasn't he questionable or close last week? He played this week. Okay. And he got back spasms. And then they were like, well, we shouldn't have done that. Yeah. And this is very common over the last six or seven years with Gronk is that the back spasms come in and it's week to week. Yeah. So that's, and whereas Waller is going to be the complete focal point for the Raiders moving forward. Yeah. So I'm leaning towards, yes, you should do it because I think Waller will be worth a lot more than Gronk going forward. 
even though what Lockett should be worth more than Thielen once Lockett gets Russell Wilson back. That makes sense. Yep. Uh, I own Lockett, so I certainly hope I have Lockett in a couple of leagues. Right. So I certainly hope that uh, Lockett is better when Russell Wilson comes back. That would be really nice. Right. Uh, Royal Will, by the way, was the guy who had that amazing wide receiver group. Is three and five. He says he's three and five in his league. It's 10 teams. He said, why? Are there only four teams? No, there are 10. So that's that. 10 teams. Lamar Jackson, Aaron Jones, Edmonds, and Carter, uh-huh. Adams, Cup, Williams, and Lamb. And he traded for Kelsey, hoping that Kelsey has a bit of a rebound in the second half. Is there any obvious moves you can do with this team? I don't know because I doubt that there's any – I doubt there's any players out there on the waiver wire that are going to be as good as Edmonds or Carter. Right. I mean, if you can trade a wide receiver for a running back on that team, like that, the you know Aaron Jones is great, but Edmonds and Carter is kind of a drop off. Yeah, you may want to trade one of those wide receivers for a better running back. Yeah, right. See what you can do. And the other thing with Edmonds and Carter, you could wind up trying to go with the hot hand and going back and forth and and whiffing with those two guys. Like, oh, Carter, isn't that the worst thing in fantasy football when you try to do and you end up with the better guy on your bench? And that's why people like best ball leagues. Right, and that's it. It's like, oh, it's just Thursday night. Even though it's a top defense in the Colts for run, I'm going to try Carter. He's got the hot hand. You play him, you know, he has a bad game, and then, like, you know Edmonds is going to have two touchdowns as a result. But on the other hand, when you nail it and when you have, like, your fantasy championship and it's uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick throwing five touchdowns, it feels great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brother. Uh, and Joey Sucks asks, what's the metric for drama? Ibod Instagrams below Odell's dad. You know, Odell's Odell Beckham Senior has been quiet for the last eight years. I was unaware that this was uh, a player in this. Yeah, he's not a big baller brand kind of guy. No, so it must be pretty bad in Cleveland if Dad is talking up now. He's been quieter than Tom Brady Senior. Yeah, yeah. Tom Brady's dad is more is more vociferous than Odell Beckham's dad. He's hoping Will Smith will play him in a movie someday if he really pipes up a little bit. But I don't have a drama index. It seems like something I would have made over the years, but I don't have one. I have a passive aggression index for Aaron Rodgers, but I don't have a drama index for uh, for for. I believe the drama index would be referred to as the TOI. <laughs> Terrell Owens indicator. The Terrell Owens index. Oh my wow. goodness! Yeah. I'll go back like 2005. I probably have that written in a walkthrough somewhere. But, <laughs> you know, Royal Will, by the way, says all year he basically players have gone off on his bench. He flipped McLaurin for Kelsey in week three. So you've already gotten rid of a really good receiver and you still have four of them. And every week I've started Mike Williams, he's given me four points. All right. Has Mike Williams been really inconsistent this year? I guess so. Because he yeah, had a couple of early on, he had a couple of big games where they were like, He's playing the X now, which is the position that Michael Thomas played in this same offense in New Orleans. But yeah, Mike, Mike, Mike Williams has four games with touchdowns and at least 80 yards. Okay. And three games with less than 30. That's the boomer bust deep threat receiver. Boomer bust, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's what's going to happen there. And you're stuck with CD also, where CD has a backup quarterback one week and has 11 other weapons in his offense than every other week. So that's a hard choice as well when, when you've got that when you've got that wide receiver grouping. Uh, but that's a really good wide receiver grouping. I mean, McLaurin also is, I mean, you know, McLaurin's an interesting test point for my idea that the number ones, like when you have a worse quarterback, the number ones usually still get theirs. Yes. Do you call this one the DeAndre Hopkins theory? 
Yeah, I guess it is the DeAndre Hopkins theory. DeAndre oh. Hopkins, DeAndre Hopkins still got his, you know? Yeah. Yeah, you would have, gosh, who was that kid they started? I was about to say, who was that kid the Texans started that time? Uh, but Keenum Ryan, was Ryan right. Mallon. Ryan Mallon. Oh, please. please I'm thinking um, which other receivers Eight. did this happen with? Uh, Tom Savage. New Orleans, when um, Horn, Joe Horn was on New Orleans, it was like that. Mm. Like Joe Horn would not have very good teammates, and he Aaron Brooks was his quarterback, but Joe Horn would always was always getting his numbers, right? Because he was the number one receiver. And when they went to a backup quarterback or something, I, mean, I remember who was the backup to Aaron Brooks, but like Joe Horn would still get his. It's interesting because in Seattle, it looked like Metcalf was the guy who was getting his from Geno. So I wonder if there's a, it's a type because Hopkins was I can go get the ball receiver. Yeah, Metcalf is kind of like I'm so big I can just catch your jump balls and your nonsense type of thing. So it seems like it has to be a type. Devontae is that type. Yes, which is another reason why Devontae would be good for this week, despite Jordan Love. Right, Von Miller I trade agree. guys. Von Miller trade thoughts. What Von Miller trade? I like it. Right. Um, I that was interesting because there were some different reactions on analytics Twitter. Mm-hmm. One of the reactions was. Um, there have been a lot of seasons where the best team doesn't win the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And therefore, don't go for it all in one year. Try to have a long extended period of success where every year you have a shot at it. But I feel like like their shot this year is pretty good. And 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 they've discovered an inefficiency in the market. Like they value yeah. veterans and rookies different than other teams. And they're right. going to take advantage of that to build the team they want to build, which is a, a team that's built around a couple of veterans with great, huge contracts who are great, huge players. And if the one of those players gets injured, they are screwed. <laughs> <laughs> you, know who, you know who's also had a run of extended opportunities to win the Super Bowl? The Rams. Because they were there several years ago, were a playoff team, and now are a prohibitive favorite. So the idea, like, well, this strategy doesn't work because it's an all-in strategy. They, the Jalen Ramsey trade was an all-in strategy. They're still here two years later, and so is Ramsey. Like, they're they're doing this differently. So, so you know, I would say in general, in most situations, try to build through the draft, try to be, you know, careful and judicious and move things down the line. The Rams, like you said, have found a different way to do this. It's not like this is going to be a one and done and they're blow up. That's what we thought were going to happen with Todd Gurley and everything like that. No, they have found a way to, at least in the short term, sustain this. And I don't like this idea that saying, well, if you're the best, you might not win. So don't try to be the best. I'm sorry. I, I can't. I may not be analytical enough to understand that concept. <laughs> yeah, my, I know. I mean, I understand it. I don't think I agree with it, but I understand it. I I I feel like one of these years the Rams are going to have a couple of these players get injured and they're going to be terrible. Right, right. But there are teams they're so top heavy. Right, but there are teams that have taken swings and are terrible after a couple of injuries anyway. They've not yeah. had these opportunities that the Rams have put themselves in the position to have. Let me let me quickly get to the important news here. Um, Backup yes. Aaron Brooks quarterback Jeff Blake, and you had okay. Todd Bauman, and you had Jake DeLome. That's a eclectic mix of dudes. Jeff Blake had a couple of great years for the Bengals. Yeah. DeLome Todd became Bauman a great quarterback Bauman. later. Wikipedia Blake, says Tom Bauman was the person who played in the NFL. Blake <laughs> always stands out to me as the first African-American mediocre quarterback. 
controversial, but he like, was one of the one of the classic ideas about the sort of sports getting over their racism. Right, is it was easy to go to the Negro Leagues and sign Monty Irvin and Henry Aaron and Willie Mays. Right. Um, but then often, like baseball teams in the 60s would have two black guys on the team, the superstar and his roommate. Mm -hmm. You know that you have come far in terms of racial equality when African-Americans had just as much of an opportunity to be mediocre. Right. And to be backups. Right. And so Jeff Blake, I think, actually holds an interesting position in the history of the African-American quarterback because he's what I remember as the first African-American quarterback who was not like a superstar. He was just a guy who played quarterback right. and that was good enough to have him on five different teams. He was able to hang around for years like Joe Flacco as a backup after his viable starting career. Yes. which is I was, which going, was, I was, uh, I was going to say this is Tony Banks erasure, but actually... Tony Banks came in two years later. <laughs> yes, Tony right. Banks so, is later than Jeff Blake. It, it was later, and Banks did have a long career as a backup. But you're right, prior to that, like when a Randall Cunningham's viable time as a starter ended, they sort of disappeared very quickly from the league as if like this is a – you've been othered. You can't do this thing. Right, and also Blake had a couple of years where he was a starter, but he was a sure. he was an average or, or below average starter, and those teams still started him. Like they were not yes. like – Let's go find a white quarterback who can be below average. <laughs> so, no, that's an important. It's actually kind of an important milestone in removing racism from the league. You know, again, not yes. that all racism is removed from the right. league or was when Jeff Blake was playing in 1991, mm -hmm. but I think it's an interesting historical milestone. My, my thoughts on my thoughts on the Von Miller trade. Um, yes, basically come down to: Are we trying to run an asset uh, house here, or are we trying to win a championship? And yeah, I agree with you that in theory, you know, only one team's going to win. A lot of people are going to be disappointed. Mm -hmm. uh, so do you go for it or do you just continue acting like you're, you know, buying up financial assets and uh, right. being like, like a hedge fund group or something? And <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm more of a championship kind of guy. So I definitely Flags fly prefer. forever. Yes. That's, I, definitely I don't know. Joe Sheehan's line, I think, for baseball. I mean, you know, we, we don't put up pennant flags in the same way in the NFL, but the basic idea still applies. <clears throat> you know, you'd rather be the Buccaneers mm -hmm. and suck for a long time and then win a championship than be the Vikings and go nine and seven and 10 and six every year and never win a title. Right. Right. And that's it. When you talk about the second round picks now that they're giving away, the marginal cost at this point it's is a late second round pick. It's going to be a late third round pick. Third round, because that's all they have. And it's like, you know, we've now established they are not going to be able to draft successfully in those years. So, like, like, the, like adding, making that slightly worse, is not as big a deal in the future as in the present, making themselves potentially significantly better in a way that can help them in the playoffs against opponents like Tom Brady, like Aaron Rodgers. Et and if you, if your, if your program also successfully develops guys like Darius Williams, kind of out of nowhere, then. Right. It's fine, isn't it? <laughs> you, you yeah, our draft have to be really good at draft at undrafted signing undrafted free agents. Right, right. and and the, that's where their depth is going to come from. And the Patriots were good at that for twenty years. So now, I don't know how sustainable it'll be for the Rams. But if you have schemes that are coherent and you have a good articulation from your head coaches down to your scouts, because the coach has been there for years, the Ravens are also very good at that. So there is a method of doing that. I'm not saying they'll be fine in three years, but I'm saying that the risk in three years is completely outweighed by the potential reward here. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. Flags fly forever. I, I like the move. I mean, and I think Von Miller still has it. Yeah. Oh no, he's been playing well in fits and spurts. I mean, ankle injury the last couple weeks, but right. he's still a quality pass rusher. Was a quality pass rusher last year. Like he, and that's absolutely a weakness for them. The, the other side, opposite of Leonard, uh, was it? Is it Leonard Floyd who's one of their pass rushers? Yep, I believe. Floyd. Floyd, right. I get him and Robert Quinn mixed up because they yep. switched places. Quinn used to be in LA and went to Chicago and Floyd used to be in Chicago and went to LA. Yep. Three syllable names, about the same age, similar play style. <laughs> I do the same thing. And on the other side of this, by the way, the Broncos, it's like, this is the actual start of the rebuild. They were supposed to start in 2016. It's weird that it's happening in this year where they're four and four, but it looks like that's the, that's the final surrender by the Denver Broncos. Maybe I'm misinterpreting this, and I know there was some personal drama with the team, et cetera, et cetera, but it looks like this is them finally saying, George Payton, the new GM, finally saying, no, we're not trying to do it this way. We're going to go embark and do it a different way. They're in sort of a same position as Washington looked like they would be in, although Washington is now worse than we thought they'd be, which yeah. is um, they're going to end up not with a good enough draft pick to take a really good quarterback Although I don't know how many really good quarterbacks there are in this draft. Not many. <laughs> I mean, look, I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to be politically biased against the fact that there's a quarterback from Liberty, <laughs> but I also think, you know, he would have been, wh wh where did he start? Did he start at a Auburn. power we, five we, team? We went over this. He might have been recruited by a power five team if he was better, but he was recruited by a power five team. Yeah, we went over this the last time I was on, I think, for sure. Uh, you're good. You're our Malik Willis expert from now on. <laughs> um, that, we only talk about race when you're on, Rivers. We never true. mention race in society until you show up. Nothing <laughs> but socio-political musings here. Well, I mean, it doesn't matter what race they are. This year's quarterback prospects are not impressive. I mean, the guy who was supposed to be the number one prospect's been benched. Right. Right. So, I mean, go back to our preseason projection predictions, and we were all like, the number one pick will be Spencer Rattler. No, yeah. oh, I, didn't, I didn't say that. I said it would be Kayvon Thibodeau. I want to be on the you said, you said who? Kayvon Thibodeau. I okay. said Nevada. I said Nevada quarterback. Carson whose Strong. name I don't even remember, but I liked that idea that it would be somebody would appear from out of nowhere and everybody would go, oh, Josh Allen. And <laughs> Well, you, you might be right, but it might be uh, Kenny Pickett over at Pittsburgh who, who kind of gets that helium this or year. Or Ole Miss quarterback might be the out-of-nowhere guy this year. Yep. yep. Um, let's just finish off with Royal Will's last questions. Would trading CeeDee Lamb and Mike Williams and Chase Edmonds be too much for Daryl Henderson? Hmm. I think it would be okay. if you start three wide receivers. Because the value is you have four wide receivers. <laughs> right. right. So if you trade one of them, if you trade two of them, now you only have two. So the you lose the value of your having your great wide receivers is that you have you need to have, you know, if you only if you only start two of them, that's fine. If you start three of them, then you want to keep three of them. Yeah, that does seem like a lot. I like Henderson a lot as a player, uh, but that seems like a lot to give up. It's interesting what will happen when Akers come back. Oh, he meant Mike or CD. Yes, I would trade Mike Williams and Chase Edmonds for Daryl Henderson. Yes. Okay. Um, when Cam Akers comes back next year, because McVeigh really seems to be a guy who likes to have one stud back. Right, right. And Henderson's been really good this year, 
Will he go back to Akers or will it be Henderson who's the stud back? I don't know. It's interesting. I think Akers is a little more versatile in the receiving game. In in the past, I think he was doing that because he liked motioning that running back around, like keeping the same personnel on the field, motioning them around pre-snap, doing all that stuff prescribed for Goff. So you're like, well, who's the most versatile guy? It'd be Akers. Now it looks more like it's like we're going five wide when we go five wide, and then we're, you know, so and and just let Stafford rake, and then when it's time to run, you know, we put Henderson in the backfield. So I don't know. I mean, I probably lean towards Henderson right now. He's seen Akers is more versatile. Henderson's got that quick cutting ability though that I look at and say that's the one who can make the one cut and, and get a big play. Yeah, he was a uh, backcast favorite if I remember correctly. Henderson yeah. was. Hmm. All right, folks, that does it for Wednesday. Uh, thank you. Uh, you're welcome, Royal Will. He said, thank you yes. for all your help trying to turn his fantasy season around. Good luck. And let me give some advice for your league and for other leagues. In my fantasy league that I do with my friends uh, from college, we have the second half award which is that you take all the teams that don't finish in the money, like the top three finish in the money. Mm -hmm. And then we take all the other teams and whoever has the best second half of the season gets their money back. Okay. And that way, even if your team is zero and eight, mm -hmm. you have something to play for in the second half of the season. Nice. Yeah. Second half award. That's my advice for fantasy leagues. I like it. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Mike and I will be here with JP Acosta to preview week eight. And uh, we'll see how much big news there is between now and then that changes lines. Thank you, Rivers, for joining us. My pleasure. As uh, always, JP. <laughs> visit riversmccown.com for all your Houston Texans news. And don't forget to tweet at Rivers with hashtag read the piece so that you, he knows that you've actually read what he wrote. Don't, don't, you don't have to read it. It's okay. The, the Texans are bad. I, I get it. You only have to read it if you are a Texans fan. Just reach right. out to him and say hi to him. And, and he needs to talk to people about things besides the Texans. I need therapists is what I need. Don't, don't forget the limited time offer, folks. As yes. pointed out in the corner of this video, only 99 cents a week for FO+. Plus. If you buy an annual subscription now, that's all of our fantasy research tools all of our advanced statistics, all of our picks against the spread, all of that stuff, FO plus 99 cents a week. Become a Football Outsiders member now. We definitely want to see you aboard, and we want to see you guys tomorrow at 1 p.m. on all of these various video services. Uh, until then, uh, enjoy the football news, and we'll see you tomorrow at 1.